We're at the midpoint of the association season, and today I'm going to break it all down for you here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the 74th edition of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. My name is Nick, and today I'm going to break down everything for you here in the world of independent league baseball. Obviously, there's news that breaks after the show. There's news that breaks during the show sometimes, and that's one of those situations here today. Uh, there's the updated MILB plan that came out literally minutes after I started recording here, as you probably realized here. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, so I'm not going to comment on it today. I'll try to get the article, seeing as it's behind the paywall, so we'll figure out a way to get that for next week's show. We'll break that plan down, although I will say, supposedly, there's a $35 million tax for independent league teams that would become affiliated teams. I'll just quickly preface this all with one comment here, which is, that's not happening. I'm going to be quite honest here. Uh, very few indie ball teams have $35 million on hand, if any have that kind of money on hand. And if there are expectations for it to be paid all up front or within, say, a 12-month period, they're not getting their money. And it would be stupid to do that because there's no way in hell you're going to, by becoming affiliated, you're going to make up that $35 million. You're better off rolling the dice, at least for the teams that... MILB wants to become affiliated. Teams like Somerset, teams like Sugarland, teams like St. Paul, they may have that money on hand. They may not. That's hard to say. Uh, the ownership, their pockets run deep in each of those three circumstances. Each of them do invest a lot of that money, though, right back into their team. All three of them don't have any sort of issue drawing. They don't have any sort of imminent need to go to affiliated baseball. In fact, I'd argue that St. Paul would suffer being affiliated because a lot of their hijinks that they pull, that just won't go when you're under the yoke of affiliated baseball. And when you have MLB's eye on you, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff ain't going to fly. So I don't, I don't see that happening. Plus, we know St. Paul, they've made their point numerous times about independent in our blood. We don't want to be affiliated. We'd rather not be than be affiliated. We know that for that case. As for the other two, I just don't see them forking over $35 million so that way they can be relieved of the burden of having to pay players when I can't imagine they're paying their players as a roster on a whole more than $100,000 a year. I mean, I'm not good at math, but I can tell you this much. It's going to take a significant amount of time for the money saved and the potential money gained by having affiliated players in a ballpark in that kind of situation to total $35 million. For regular viewers, or I suppose listeners of the show, you may be taken back by the fact I just jump headlong into a topic. Normally not what we do here for the newbies. Uh, normally, actually, it's more than just me talking. Normally I have a co-host here, or a guest co-host, or something to that extent. This week, that's not the case. It's similar to last week, where again, I'm kind of left here by myself here, but we can hold down the fort for 40 minutes. At the very least, we can try. So I just want to get that out of the way early. I did see that, and I do want to just comment on that quickly to get that out of the way. So I guess now we can jump into regular introductions as well. So yeah, it's the 74th episode. I said that in the very beginning, as you just guessed, and as I just told you, 
It's again a solo show. Apologies for that, but that's the circumstances we find ourselves in. The next 48's a bit hectic, so it's not even one of those deals where we could do a crash cart type recording situation early on Saturday, rush it through the door. This is the kind of deal where I have something to do at noon on Saturday. So no matter what I do, this got to get done tonight. So you're getting a solo show, unfortunately. I know I promised a whole lot for this episode. That's not going to happen. As you could probably guess, I'm going to do my best to go a little bit more in depth on that expansion talk. Like I mentioned last week, I'm going to do my best to give you as deep of an overview of the American Association season to this point and who I have on my All-Star team for this point, as well as my Players of the Week. I'm going to do as much as I can in that front, and I'm going to hopefully get to the very few bits of news, too. So we'll see where we get to 40 minutes from now. I'm hopefully going to have a 45-minute-long episode for you guys, so at least you don't feel too cheated as far as the length of the episode goes. I do like to normally get around an hour to 90 minutes. I think that's pretty fair for content-wise. It gives you something that you can listen to in chunks throughout the week, or it's not even that long where you could just listen to it in one sitting while you work from home, while you work from your office, maybe while you're driving around running errands, or while you're doing whatever you do in the car or just give you something to play in the background. So with that said, I suppose we could just jump right into that American Association talk. Then we'll hit up the news. And then if we have some time at the end and we're not running too long, I'm not dragging and everything seems to be flowing good. I'll just kind of run through some of the through some of the cities I saw and just kind of talk about that a little bit more depth here because expansion is a big enough topic and I think it does garner enough interest where we could spend some time discussing it. I know I mentioned the possibility of doing a YouTube video last week. That's still on the table. It's being discussed. It's being bandied about. It's going to take some time to push out, but that's one thing we do have during a pandemic is time. And that's something we do need to keep in mind. There still is a pandemic going on, which makes what the American Association is doing just that much more special. It makes it that much more amazing that they've gotten to the halfway mark already. I know it seems like we just got going not that long ago, and really we haven't been going for that long. It's only been about a month, a little over that, about five weeks now. And to this point, there's only been, I believe, two positive COVID tests. Now, again, the plan seemed pretty comprehensive, but maybe something slipped through the cracks, maybe not. Everything and everything so far seems to be pointing towards the systems working, the bubbles holding, or these kind of little pop-up bubbles, I guess. And that's just been the first of the major things from the American Association this year. Uh, to this point, the bubbles held. That's a big point here. They're the only major independent league playing. Of course, there's a dozen other mini pop-up leagues playing as well, but while they do have some names, and I know the Sugarland League's had a handful of rather uh, big names there. I know uh, the probably the best-known name is Fernando Rodney. He only pitched for a couple of days, and then he got his contract purchased, but even that much said, they're still not an official league. It's not going to be something that's going to exist next year, uh, or at least hopefully will not exist next year. We're just talking kind of long-term leagues, and that's what the American Association is. It's going to exist next year. It's going to exist, hopefully, many years into the future. So they're the only one like that at the present moment in time. I so far have to commend them on that much. They seem to be doing a very, very good job. And when the season's all said and done, I look forward to having uh, uh, Josh Schaub, the commissioner, of the American Association back on, which we did get a little 10-minute spot before the announcement was made. 
that the season would be played. If you want to go back into, I guess, the archives, if I really want to doll it out, but it, it's only a couple of episodes back. It's from, I believe, beginning of June, middle of June. You can take a look at that and listen to it. It's in the first uh, about 20 minutes, the the bulk of the discussion on everything involving that happens. So uh, when you finish this episode, I do encourage you to go back and listen to that. It, it was a good interview with that much said. But enough of the COVID type talk. We've had enough of that over the past, what, going on five months now, nearly six months now. So with that much put there, let's get to our usual routine of talking about the past week in the association. And then we can talk about really where are we going to head over the next month of the season? Because it's hard to believe, but we're only a month away from the postseason starting. A little over a month, actually, but you get what I mean. And realistically, this week, we we really only have three teams to talk about. Uh, the Saints, the Milkmen, and then the the Canaries. They really much just stayed the course. They're either 5-5 five and five or they were 6-4 and four for the most part. Uh, they didn't really shoot themselves up. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. They stayed just about where they were. The three teams that really are worth talking about this week are Winnipeg, Chicago, and Fargo-Moorhead. One of those is not quite like the other, and we'll get to them in a minute, but we do begin this American Association on-the-field play discussion by talking about the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Now, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, they... They hit a bit of a skid this week. They were riding a four-game losing skid coming into Friday night. They still do hold a lead. They hold a one-game lead over Sioux Falls for the king of the league crown at the present moment in time. Uh, Duncan and Hilton, they finally started to show a little bit of wear, particularly Hilton. They had some rough starts there. Hilton got hit a little bit. And it kind of shows that maybe the futures are starting to figure them out. I know when Will from ALPB News was on a couple of weeks back, I believe it was now two weeks back, we discussed that. I kind of made the observation that it seems like he goes five innings and then he gets pulled and that's about it. So he gets about two turns around the rotation, roughly speaking. And well, it kind of very astutely pointed out that, hey, look, he seems like Rick Forney notices that these hitters are starting to figure out Hilton fairly early on after that second time through. So he wants to yank him out of there before he has the opportunity to give up runs. Being that we're halfway through the season now, it feels weird but great to say that at the same time. And just in the sense of now the games really start to hold a lot of weight. But maybe now, because everybody's seen each other so many times, and because, again, the condensed schedule and how... There was a lot of back-to-back series, a lot of six games apiece against teams. While you stayed in the same ballpark, one team was the home team and another team was the away team. I'm thinking maybe the case is now a lot of these pitchers are going to start getting hit because like what happened to Hilton, these hitters are starting to see their see their whole arsenal a lot more, see what they do in a lot of different situations more. They're starting to read them. We're going to talk about Chicago in just a minute and how their offense has just gone way off the charts in the past really 10 days, it definitely appears to me that the pitching is going to be something that is critical down the stretch, not just for Winnipeg, not just for a team like Milwaukee that relies very heavily on that pitching staff, but just as a whole on a league level, the pitching is going to be what kind of makes or breaks a lot of teams here, particularly in that championship series. I think we're going to see pitchers that may not have gotten a lot of usage to this point really start to kind of take the lion's share of the workload. They're going to start getting a lot more about starts and a lot more bullpen appearances. They're going to start 
to be used a little bit longer, maybe in different situations, just in an attempt to try and throw these hitters off. Particularly the guys that have been here for those 30 games that may have played there last year, that kind of know these pitchers pretty well now. It's going to be something that's interesting to see. That much said, besides the Duncan and Hilton rough patch, and I do contradict myself a little bit here, the rest of the team does seem to be pitching fairly well. And one do note, Victor Capion did tie the American Association saves record. I said a couple weeks back he had an outside chance at it. That was under the kind of pretense of Winnipeg going out and not leaving many games within three and also me thinking that the record was a little bit higher than it actually was. Uh, currently he's tied at 70. Once he hits 71 he will hold the American Association saves record and I believe he'll wind up being number five all time. I'm crossed all of independent league baseball as far as saves go. I'd have to fact check that a little bit more, but on a cursory glance earlier today, that's what it appeared to be. So Victor Capion, uh, well, well establishing himself, and more than likely the next time I speak to you guys, uh, he will be the new record holder there. The next opportunity for him to get that record to is uh, Sunday. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, and they are playing Fargo-Moorhead, so it's a coin flip as to whether or not he's going to get the, the opportunity. Maybe if it's a close game, he'll get the shot. Uh, if not, it is a good thing to see. The one thing of concern for Winnipeg, though, outside the, the bit of a rough patch for Duncan and Hilton, was the bounce started to go cold. Not a lot of guys were really hitting Logan Hill and Kyle Martin being the lone two that are batting above 300 or around 300 at least. The rest of them uh, not doing terribly great. Although I will say this much, as far as Winnipeg is concerned, I remain unconcerned. I was a bit worried about the second week in the season because he started to falter a bit. And I was saying how, and I believe I went into detail with Will on this too, how a lot of the team's success is primarily based off of who you're playing. If you have weaker teams like a Winnipeg does by sharing a, a home with Fargo-Moorhead, they're going to get the benefit of having a weaker schedule and they're going to benefit from that. So how do you appropriately judge them? You know, it's like a non-Power 5 conference team doing well versus a Power 5 conference team doing mediocre. It's just one of those kind of situations there that's hard to judge. But Winnipeg has shown enough to me now at this point. They're 18-13. and 13. They're a game clear of the next best uh, opponent. Uh, they were 5-5 five and five on the week too, so it wasn't like they did terrible. They just kind of were meh. They were pretty stagnant. And even with bats not performing, they were still able to find a way to kind of grit grind games out and still pull out some W's there. They have a three-game set at home, and I put at home in quotes, against Fargo-Moorhead this week. And they also have three games at Sioux Falls. So really, it's that Sioux Falls series I'm going to look to. Fargo-Moorhead, as you will hear me describe in just a little bit here, I'm thinking they, they may be at the end of the line for them. But as far as Winnipeg goes, I'm pretty unconcerned. If the losing streak does continue and does to get worse, then I'm going to be concerned. But I, at this point, like I said, I'm just not that concerned about it. With that said, we'll shift now to Chicago. And in the Windy City, the dogs are, they're doing better. They did what I needed to see out of Fargo-Moorhead this past week. The dogs did instead. They are in third place in the league. I want to say division because I'm just so 
used to hearing, oh, they're in this place in the division, and there's so many teams in each of these leagues where you have to have divisions. But no, they are third place in the league. They are 7-3 and three on the week, and 15-13 and 13 in total. That puts them a game and a half back of the Gold Eyes, and a half game back of a playoff berth, a championship game berth, rather. And that can really be credited to two really solid starts from Thomas Stormity, a great start from Jake Dolberg, and an equally as great start from uh, Luke Westfall. They've been doing a great job. The bullpen's also doing very good. There's four particular bullpen arms I do want to spotlight. They each have thrown two or more innings and have an ERA of zero. That's correct. They have yet to give up an earned run, at least in the last seven days. So they've really been on fire these past week. Showman's pitched two innings, no runs. Casey Crosby, two, two and two-thirds innings. He has not given up a run. I believe it's Jalen Miller. He has pitched three innings. He has not given up any runs. And by far the most impressive is Hasselbeck, or Hasselbeck, as he pitched six innings and did not surrender any runs. So that is very good in relief there. And it very much is clear that the reason they're winning games is, yes, in large part due to the offense, as I'm about to discuss right now, but equally as important is getting good starts from your well, from your starters, getting those quality starts, both uh, just saying, oh, you did a quality job, and also in the technical statistical way, where they're going six innings and not surrendering runs, and that's what you need to do. If your starter gives your team a solid even five innings, and then you can hand it off to your bullpen to to go by committee here for four innings, you're set. And that's what they've been doing, and it's been working very much so. But more than that, though, the offense has definitely been the driving engine here. They've exploded as of late, and really everyone's batting 278 or better. Obviously, there's exceptions to that 278. However, that's only three guys. That's Edwin Arroyo, who's cooled off a bit from a very hot start. Uh, Blake Almond, uh, he's also cooled off a little bit from a hot start. And Garrett Hope has been kind of up and down. But again, he's a catcher, and he's not getting regular playing time. He's pretty much split with uh, Ryan Haig, I believe it is, behind the plate. So hard to really get into that much of a rhythm if you play 15 games and the other guy plays the other, what is it, 13 games to this point. So I do give him that much there. So it still, they haven't been playing bad at all. And really when the rest of your batters are all around 280 or in some cases 400, uh, Milizano, he is batting 438. Turtislavich batting 429. Victor Roach is batting 370. I know he's not a 400 guy, but still he's one of the four guys above 350. The other guy being Tyler Landorf. He's at exactly 350. Also just launching some home runs. That's been another aspect of their game here. But before I get a little too ahead of myself, I'm starting to rush a little bit here because there's just so much to cover offensively with this team. Uh, they're finding ways to get on base. They're finding ways to play small ball. They can also play that more modern analytical game where it's just score runs. And if that's by the long ball, uh, two doubles or a home run, that's a single home run, it equals the same amount of runs. And that's all that matters. And they can adapt to really both sets as uh, there's five guys with multiple home runs this week. Victor Roach hit a very, very impressive four home runs this week. And it now holds the lead in the league this year. 
four home runs. He's sitting at 11. And he was one of those dark horse candidates I really did consider for my player of the year when we did the preview. I wound up going Ale Lago just because he did very well last year. He's been historically very good. Victor Roach was a guy that I really did think long and hard about here, and this is why. He has a lot of explosive potential, and he showed that last year, and he got a little overshadowed just by Keon Barnum, who wound up being, of course, the Independent Baseball Player of the Year by Baseball America, and he got really kind of overlooked by some, I think, just in the overall community of Independent League Baseball or baseball in general. And now Victor Roach is really proving that point. I believe he's a former first-round draft pick as well, and he's showing why he was picked that high. He's showing that potential right now, and he's really making a strong case to say, if not now in these kind of weird kind of pop-up spring training constant locations, or maybe it's in the off-season going into 2021, he's showing why he deserves that shot, why a team is making a good decision by bringing him in the camp and giving him that opportunity to prove himself to earn a roster spot. Uh, 11 home runs in 28 games speaks an awful lot when you're hitting a home run. Was it every other game, every three games, you're launching one over the wall? And it's just these bursts of power where he's just very, very dominant. And like I said, it's not just limited to he hits four home runs and then he bats 220. No, he hits four home runs and then he bats 370. So he's finding a way to get on base bare minimum a third of the time and it's closer to really half the time when you get down to it but uh, other guys with multiple home runs Michael Krause hits three a guy that's not terribly noted for power but very much so noticed for speed he's the stolen base leader in the league as well he knocks three over the wall this week uh, Tyler Ladendorf a guy that is noted for some power he hits three as well same thing with uh, Joey Turtoslavich he hits two alongside Harrison Smith who is a noted noted home run hitter he doesn't hit for average but he does hit for power and I will say this much he is finding a way to hit for average now this week too which really goes a long way for the dogs and making that charge up the leaderboard and if the dogs are going to continue this rush up to the top of the board and really start to push the canaries for that final playoff berth they're going to need to continue this offense they're going to need to continue to pitch well and this is one of those teams that a lot of people, I know Will was high on them, I know I was saying I really wanted to like them, they could do something in the preview, this is a team that has that kind of potential and they're showing it right now. Now of course there's a handful of other teams, a Milwaukee who's about 500, a St. Paul who's about 500, I believe there's something like five teams that are all within a game of first place. That includes, obviously, your first place team. Really, everyone but Fargo-Moorhead is still in the running for this league. And that's what's going to make a very interesting this last month of the year, where if you hit a four-game skid and you're not in a position like Winnipeg where you had that kind of cushion built in, like I mentioned last week, where they have a cushion, they had a skid, I'm not that concerned. They're using their cushion now. If Winnipeg continues their skid, maybe they're in really deep trouble. If St. Paul stops winning, I know they got a little bit of a morale boost by being able to play at their own ballpark. I'm not sure how much that really counts because, I mean, a lot of these guys are new. A lot of these guys really haven't put any roots down in St. Paul, so it's hard to say home field advantage. But it does mean something in sport, even at this particular level in these circumstances. It means something. That's a little bit of a boost. It's helped them out a bit. If Milwaukee can start doing a little bit more, they string together a couple of seven and three weeks. Maybe they win, say, 
10 of 15. Now they're in real contention here. There's obviously Sioux Falls that's still up there in the running. Obviously Chicago too that's making this push. They continue that. That's a threat. There's a lot of very interesting scenarios that could play out in the second half. And we're going to talk about those after I mention that one team that really seems to be out of it, which is Fargo-Moorhead. They sit in dead last. I said they need to go bare minimum 7-3 and three this week to really keep their hopes alive. I was really on that bandwagon, that 7-3, and three, just because I felt like, okay, they're going to need to make up a lot of ground. A lot of people are still in it. If they can make that 7-3, and three, not only will they knock some teams down to their level, they'll start to claw their way back out of the hole. And while it certainly will be an uphill climb, it will be doable. But a 4-6 and six week brings them to 11-20 and 20 on the year. 7 back of 1st place Winnipeg. 6 place, or 6 games back of the 2nd place Canaries. It's just looking like a more and more unlikely scenario that the Red Hawks are going to be playing postseason baseball this year. It's a bit unfortunate for them. They're a team that, in my opinion, I wasn't picking them to win the league to begin with. They were one of those teams where I was like, okay, they're going to be middling. It's hard to say because it's just so condensed everything, but they've got pieces that will be interesting, I suppose. And it just, it's not working out this year for them. And I chalked it up partially too. I'll, you have just five other teams that are stacked. There's a reason why uh, the vast majority of this league was at something like 80% plus of this league is all still in contention at the halfway mark. I mean, normally that would not be the case. Now, certainly teams wouldn't be quite out of it yet, but we kind of have a rough idea of, okay, these are our playoff teams and we know what we're going to be in for. This year, we really don't know. There's so many variables up in the air that it just makes it a lot more difficult for Fargo-Moorhead and that condensed talent is a large reason for that. Moreover, though, they just haven't been able to string everything together at the same time for them. I mean... Fargo Moorhead, they have five batters of 290 or better this week. Uh, Forrest Alde, who they brought back, he's batting 460, uh, yeah, 462. I mean, he's only played in three games, so take that as you will. Drew Ward's doing Drew Ward things. He's batting 455. Carell Prime's doing everything he can, 357. Brendan Metzger's returned to form. He's batting 310. Leo Pena, 292, so he's kind of turned the corner there. But that's five guys in a lineup that really needs more like seven or eight. When you look at a team like Chicago that has nine guys that can go out there and just blast the cover off the ball. When you look at a team like Winnipeg, where even when their bats go cold, they still find a way to win five games because at any moment they can have a whole slew of guys just break out and go way off the chain. Same thing goes with the Canaries. They may not have as much depth in their lineup, but they certainly do have an awful lot of heavy hitters. Guys like Lago, guys like Tom Shea, Clint Coulter chips in, Mike Hart chips in. There's a whole slew of guys that all just kind of do just enough to push them over the top every single game and keep them in contention. And that's the case on ending lineup. Pick the Saints, for example. Troy Alexander, he doesn't play that many games. He's only played about 15 so far, but he contributes when he's in the lineup. Same thing for Mikey Reynolds. He's played about 20 some odd, I believe 28 games so far. And he's contributed in spades. Now he comes in bunches, of course, but he still does contribute an awful lot. Same thing goes for a lot of other guys in these lineups. There's guys that step up, take the reins, and at any given moment, there's six, seven, eight guys all finding ways to score runs, and that's just not happening for Fargo-Moorhead. 
Also, another guy that had a really great start, Trey Hare, a guy I was praising. I believe I had him as a player of the week uh, very early in the week. I believe this week one, he was doing such a tremendous job. This past week really fell off a cliff. He was two for 23. That's batting 87. That's correct, 87. No home runs this week. And that's just not the kind of acceptable play from a starting position player you can't have a bat that's hitting under 100 in a lineup and expect to win especially when you don't have these massive type bats when you don't have a victor roach when you don't have an la lago when you don't have these other big name kind of bats to step in there you don't have a kyle martin and darnell sweeney all these other types of guys here and then you don't have the pitch in the back it up either. I mean, you could always pull in Milwaukee where you just say, okay, our pitchers are going to win schemes. Ryan Kuzmall is going to go out and he's going to, in two starts, give up less than one earned run on average. Okay, David Holmberg's going to go out and he's going to have an ERA of two to the halfway mark of this season. Okay, we're going to hand over to the bullpen now where we have guys in spades that have ERAs under one. In fact, we got Peyton Hill who has an ERA of zero to this point. They don't have that. I mean, Tom Shaw, he's doing everything he can. He had a couple of good starts. Anderson looked good. Pike looked good. Uh, That's great for four starts. And then it kind of goes away after that. I mean, they've looked decent at moments here. I believe they swept Winnipeg this week, which I should be lauding a lot more. But at the same time, you still then went one in six. So what difference does it really make if in your last 10, you're one in six outside of one good series? likewise though i mean the four stars were good five earned runs across four starts is good you struck out 25 across four starts it's also good you didn't walk that many just overall i'm just so meh about this team compared to all the other ones it's hard to say i will give ryan thurston and brett jones credit though two and a third innings and no earned runs for each of them there so that seems to be good for them but i'm really starting to believe this is kind of the end of the line for the red hawks at this point here and with that i'm going to kind of transition into more of a general discussion as to where we are heading in the american association Uh, obviously to this point it's been winnipeg leading the pack uh sioux falls has been keeping pace for the most part and then it's been kind of a jockey for that really third spot milwaukee's had it at points then now chicago's taking it st paul's looked to challenge at moments really it's only been fargo moorhead who's been on the outside looking in for the most part of the year which is extremely unfortunate for them you would like to see you know everyone be competitive but when you have such an even killed league someone's going to wind up being the loser and unfortunately for them it's them i will say this much though I think we're going to start to really see that separation from the pack in about two weeks. I think when we get to that second half of August, we're going to start to figure out who is this kind of dominant force? Who is this really high quality team? Who is going to be the last three teams standing here where we're watching the final weekend of the season? We're watching September baseball and going, I wonder who's going to take that last spot. I stand firm and I think Winnipeg's going to be that number one team. I I still believe that. Until they give me a reason to seriously doubt them, I can't doubt them. Their results speak for themselves. Sioux Falls, a bit touch and go. They had some close games against Chicago, which tells me Chicago really is a hot team that needs to be watched out for. I will say this much, the other few teams I not really talking about much this week, the Milwaukee's, the Sioux Falls, the St. Paul's, uh, those three, 
I know I just mentioned Sioux Falls just a second ago, but they are lumped into this group where they're pretty even keeled. They're pretty middle of the pack here. Sioux Falls is able to get away with it, like I said, because they are in second place in the league and they can play 500 baseball for now and be fine. These other teams need to play above 500 baseball to be better than fine. But for right now, I'm left thinking that the dogs may steal this spot. Now, I think if you really want to look out there's uh, a couple of cases to be made for each team. We're going to kind of assume Winnipeg's at the one, and that Fargo-Moorhead's at the six. That leaves us the middle four. If you think it's going to be Sioux Falls, you're going to think they're going to keep getting timely hitting. Damik Tomshay and Ale Lago are going to continue to carry this team. Guys like Ryan Fritz and Keaton Steele are going to continue to perform. They're going to get some quality starts, and like I said, they're going to get that timely hitting. And they're going to carry that to a playoff berth. If you think it's going to be St. Paul, you're going to think that these bats are going to come alive. They're going to keep getting good starts out of Mike Devine. That Quintana's finally turned the corner. Salter's finally turned the corner. They're going to start giving you quality starts. You're going to start seeing everybody come around. And the bullpen's going to start getting their act back together. Maybe not to 100%, but certainly good enough to pass. And if they could just get everything on the right track, then they'll make that spot. If you believe that hitting is the way you win baseball games, then you got to believe in Chicago. They have all the bats. They have Tertoslavich. They have Casey Hobson, who I didn't even mention in there, but he has had a decent week himself. Certainly no slouch by any stretch. They have so many guys, really. And when you look at the roster, Edwin Arroyo, while having a down week, he certainly does perform admirably as well. You're believing in that these guys are going to just take the offensive load, put it on their backs, just run with that burden and put up seven, eight, nine, ten runs a game so that way they can win ten to six games, eight to seven games, which is, I think, kind of their strategy. Thomas Dormady's been by far their best pitcher, an ERA of just over three, and if he can continue to pitch well and you can continue to get some pretty good starts from, like, Westfold and among others, and some of the guys I mentioned earlier as well, then you, you got to look to them for as a favorite. Now, if you're in the camp of, sure, you can get into a home run derby, but eventually your bats are going to fail and it's going to come down to pitching, so you might as well just try to win two to one games because you can always count on pitching, then Milwaukee's your team. You look at a team there that's very solid. They have guys like Ventura, they have guys like Holmberg in the starting end, and then other guys I didn't even mention that I've kind of overlooked. They haven't been any slouches either. Ryan Kuzmo's been very good. I mean, that's a very good 1-2-3 punch, especially in a best-of-five playoff series. It's been extre- it'll be extremely difficult to beat, and if it's a must-win series, i got to imagine you're going to run those three out there to go get you a sweep. And I mean, certainly their offense is lagging. No one's going to debate that. Aaron Hill's had his moments. David Washington's had his moments. Dylan Tice has had his moments. All different guys have had their different moments. But by and large, they get by on their bread and butter, which is pitching. And their bullpen's been extremely good. I'm going to really gush over Peyton Gray in just a moment when I get into the all-star lineup I have prepared for you. But by and large, if you believe in pitching, then you believe in Milwaukee. So really it comes down to that. Where I believe we're going to be at the halfway mark, I'm going to stand firm with my prediction. I'm believing it's going to be Winnipeg and Milwaukee. I believe that pitching is a pretty steady determiner. I think that hitting is an awful lot like the ocean. 
It has its ebbs and its flows. It's going to reach high tide when there's a full moon, and then when the moon goes away, it's going to be awful calm. And you can't really bank on hitting because it disappears at a moment's notice. When it's hot, it's hot, no doubt. And it's impossible to beat a team that's hot while they're hitting. But it is impossible to beat a team that is consistently good at pitching. As long as the pitching stays good, it's going to frustrate hitters. They're going to start to rush. They're going to start to break the routines. The discipline's going to be tested on a lot of these guys. And frankly, I look at the league, and while there's a lot of very good hitters, I think a very good pitcher is going to just kind of dominate against them. And to this point, that's been the case in the association. Dominant pitching has won out the day more often than not. I mean, Helton's pitched for five innings. By and large, he's only had one bad start. Frank Duncan's gone deep in the game sometimes. Sometimes he goes five innings. Sometimes he goes seven innings. Sally's pitched complete games to this point at times. And he's only had two bad starts. And now, if the pitching does fail, then I'm going to look like a fool for picking Milwaukee still. But I think they're going to get just enough out of that hitting I think the pitching's pretty steady, pretty reliable, and when we look back in September, we're going to say the dogs put a real scare into them, same thing with St. Paul, but Milwaukee's able to outlast them, and then Sioux Falls, it's just hard to predict there. I think when everything comes said and done, uh, their hitting is not that dissimilar. Obviously, they have the big bats. If Chase Simpson could come back in from Milwaukee, would be a certain, certainly a big help, or if David Washington could look like Atlantic League David Washington, that would be an even bigger help if guys like Zach Nair or Aaron Hill or Dylan Tice could get back into their kind of, you know, prime forms would be a tremendous helper if they could find hope in the form of a bat from somewhere else that would also be a great help. And I kind of overlooked one other thing from Milwaukee. They have Henderson Alvarez now. So that's four really solid starters that they're going to be rolling out there, which means you're going to be really hard-pressed to beat them. There's no real weak spot there. That's just another reason to really tack onto the Milwaukee kind of milk wagon, I guess it would be. So I'm big on the Milkmen. I think they're going to wind up taking it. Now what happens in a best-of-five championship series, that just depends on how hot Winnipeg is going in. If Winnipeg's playing even up to about two-thirds their potential, they're going to win that series in four games, and that's going to be that. If they're playing up to a third, it goes to five. If they're playing full throttle, it's a sweep. It's as simple as that. Winnipeg, when everything's firing on all cylinders, you're not touching any pitches, you're not going to be able to keep anything inside the yard and that's what the dangerous thing is about Winnipeg Uh, they turn it on on a moment's notice and they just go from zero to 60 in about two seconds flat and that is something that's very hard to game plan around so uh then that's where i kind of see the league going i'd love to hear your comments you can tweet at us email us all of our contact information is on our website but if you feel the need to tweet us it's at IndieBallPod on twitter or you could just email us at indieballreport at gmail.com uh, so i would love to hear your comments as to where you think the season will go. Uh, that said, my players of the week, that's something I overlooked as I just wanted to jump headlong into where I see the league going over the next month. Uh, but I do want to make note of my pitcher and player of the week. I'll change it up a little bit and start with my pitcher of the week. Uh, that's Ryan Kuzma of Milwaukee. I just sung his praise for quite some time here, but he pitched two and two thir- or 12 and two-thirds innings, my mistake, uh, and two starts this week. He allowed 10 hits. 
He struck 14 out and he only allowed two runs, one of which was earned. His ERA is a 0.71 on the week, and that's pretty damn good if you ask me. My player of the week, it's a repeat in the first repeat of the year, but it's very hard to argue with with this pick. It's Victor Roach. Uh, he batted 370 this week. He hits four more home runs. He drives in six. To, well, he doesn't drive in. He scored six total runs. He got 10 hits. And by and large, he just looked like the dominant player that he is. And he is starting to challenge for my kind of player of the year. That's something I didn't go into too much as to my prediction for who's going to win player and pitcher of the year and who's going to be reliever of the year and all that. I don't like doing award predictions at the midway point. I don't think that's totally fair. When we get to September, then I'll get my predictions and who I'd give everything out to but until then uh, that's where I'm at I think Victor Roach and Darnell Sweeney are the two leading candidates at the moment although my man Le Lago I picked him in the previews he's also making a good push but uh, uh, as of right now Victor Roach is looking like the hottest player in the American Association uh, that said, we will now go to my all-star team. This is the last bit of American Association talk this week. I've been yammering on about this league for about a half hour now, so I'm kind of surprised. The time does fly when you're having a good conversation about the great game of baseball. So I will no longer delay and jump right into this all-star team that I have prepared for you today. I will just preface it with one thing. I essentially went off of you need to play in 20 or more games. If you haven't played in two-thirds of the games to this point, I have a very hard time putting in the All-Star game. It'd be different if it was a usual 100-game slate or an Atlantic League 126 or 140. It'd be different if you played in, you know, only half the games at that point. Then, well, you know, you still got into a fair bit. Uh, in this case, if you didn't play at least two-thirds, you only played like 10, 15 games, which could very well mean you came off the bench as a defensive replacement at times. If you played, you know, 24 games or so, Odds are you started most of those games or you had enough of an impact on them where you could be an all-star. That said, we will start the catcher position. I'll work my way through the starting nine and then two bench spots. That's the case just about everywhere here. So my catcher so far, a guy that got dealt from Winnipeg to Sioux Falls. You probably need to guess it's Roy Morales. I at first didn't expect it to be Morales. I didn't realize how good he was doing. Now, he's also seen some limited action and he's been across a handful of teams but he's settled into a very nice groove. He's hit some numbers here. While he hasn't hit any home runs, he's only scored 16 runs, and I believe that's the lowest out of all the All-Stars here. If not, it's tied for lowest. He does have an on-base percentage of 441. He has an average of 336, and he slugs for 412. The slugging is not that impressive, I grant you, but the catcher position isn't a very offensive position. It's defensively driven. He's fine behind the plate, really. There's a case to be made for John Nestor, too, and I do acknowledge that, but Roy Morales' numbers, I think, were a little bit more impressive to me, especially considering the, the two teams he's been on so far, and by and large, Roy spent most of his time behind the plate and not DHing, which is something Nestor's done more and more of this year. Uh, first base was kind of obvious. It's a Lelago. I could go into his numbers here, but I mean, it would just hammer home the point already that he is mounting a very serious campaign for uh, Player of the Year in the American Association and potentially in Indie Ball as a whole. Uh, he's batting just a shade under 400 at 395. He's slugging over 500, 504, and an on base of 446. He's only hit one home run, which is kind of surprising, but he scored 24 runs, so. I mean, he's still scoring runs, which is really the important thing at the end of the day uh, when he gets down to it. 
Uh, we go now to second base, a guy who's been in a rut the last couple of weeks, but still has mounted a very impressive performance. That uh, is Edwin Arroyo, 19 runs scored, three home runs, including a grand slam. That is something of importance to note. He's batting 301, a 4.10 on base. The slugging, 447, so not the most impressive, but certainly not bad by any stretch. He is a very crafty second baseman. I think the second baseman class this year has been very, very impressive and something that's been, to be quite honest, a bit underrated to this point. Guys like Dylan Tice and Aaron Hill haven't been getting as much notice here. They've slacked off a little bit, but that's a team that's not very offensive, so uh, that does go against them. I will admit that much, but uh, Edwin Arroyo is playing on a very offensive-driven team. You may say that dilutes his numbers. I don't. I think that just goes to prove again he's holding his own in a very offensive-based lineup, and when this team wasn't doing very good, when I was saying a couple weeks back it's make-or-break time for the dogs, they could be very quickly on the outskirts of town if they don't turn something around. Arroyo is powering that offense, so that's something of very, very big note to me and why I call him one of my all-stars to this point. Uh, third base, we pick up another Sioux Fall Canary. We pick up Damick Tomshay. He's batting 308, uh, 362 on base, which is a bit low, I will grant you that, but he's slugging 523. That is very, very impressive in my mind. Four home runs, so it's pretty league average here. He scored 17, and he does a very fine job here. Uh, now towards the second to last canary I have here, which I know what you're thinking. This many canaries from a team you're not that high on? Yeah, it's this weird thing about them where they're not really overpowering of a team. They're not going to really beat you in a way that you would think like a Chicago where it's like, okay, here's the four guys that are going to beat us today, even though I mentioned that that's one of the ways they can win. The way they win is by about like a death by a thousand cuts. I think that's the best way of putting it. When you do have heart, you have guys like Ely, who is my pick for all-star short not position. You got guys like Coulter. You got a bunch of guys like that that are going to nickel and dime you for a while, and then guys like Lago and Tomshay, they're going to hit you with the knockout punch, and that's what makes them dangerous. But enough about them. We'll talk Andrew Ely. Shortstop, he was a bit uh, a bit weak, 273 average on base percentage, 364, three home runs, 30 runs scored. He is scoring runs, and he does play a fine shortstop, so I mean... Again, it was between him and Wes Starville in my mind, so I give it to Ely. We'll kind of run through the outfielders all together. It's what you expect. It's Victor Roach from Chicago. It's Darnell Sweeney from Winnipeg. And the kind of lone surprise, and I believe the lone Fargo-Moorhead Red Hawk here, which is Carell Prime. Uh, Carell Prime, when you would look at his numbers... It's surprisingly good for being on the team he's on. Correll is batting 339 and on base of 359 and he's slugging 379. He's pretty consistent. He's not going to hit for power. He's not going to draw too many walks, to be honest with you, but he does find a way to get hits and that is something of importance in my mind. He is one of the few consistent offensive pieces on a team that struggled mightily with getting any form of consistency on either side of the ball and that goes along way in my mind and yeah it's only has one home run he's only scored 16 runs so tied for the lowest actually now uh with roy morales but yeah he he earns that spot though uh, among outfielders he he does enough to earn it 
Uh, Darnell Sweeney, and I just gushed over Victor Roach. Roach with 11 home runs, 20 runs scored. He's slugging 640, which is just terrific in and of itself. We gushed enough about him. We don't need to dial, uh, divert any more time on him. Just quickly mention Darnell Sweeney. A 309, 363, and then 569 is his slash line. A7 home run uh, tally to this point for him. My DH, which I hate the fact that a DH even exists, but I guess I have to pick one because it is a position that exists in this league, is Jabari Henry. He's mainly been a DH to this point, to my knowledge. He's batting 377, an on-base of 400, a slugging of 584. Seven home runs for him, 24 runs scored. He's been a very dominant force for the Canary so far, and is one of those three knockout punches uh, alongside Tom Shea and Lago, and is another guy that really doesn't get the praise he, he deserves. I know he played in the Atlantic League last year. He struggled a little bit there. Uh, Will talked about him greatly two episodes back when we had him on, and he goes into a lot of depth about him and the power production from him, and I agree with what Will said then. It, this is a comeback tour for him, really, and he, and Henry's done everything to continue to prove that, and quite frankly, again, he's making a case for a spring training invite next year. It's simple as that. Two bench guys, also two Winnipeg guys, uh, first baseman Kyle Martin, he's batting nearly 340, he's slugging over 500, he fives five home runs and 22 runs scored. If not for a lay Lago, he would have had that starting spot, but unfortunately, a lay Lago is just a hair better than him in the areas where it counts. And Logan Hill, a Winnipeg outfielder, uh, he's batting 336, 392 uh, for the on base, and he is slugging 538, five home runs, 26 runs scored. It was tight between him and Corel Prime, and I would very much listen to the argument that, oh, well, Karim only has batting average on him, so you should start Hill over him. I just argue that Prime means more to the Red Hawks than Hill means to the Gold Eyes. Whether that should count or not, that's up to you. But uh, Logan Hill is the final alternate I have there. We switch to the pitching side, which is the last bit of American Association talk we have for you this week, which is my three starting pitchers, my two relievers, and my two extras for the all-star team here to this point. I have Kevin Hilton, Frank Duncan, and Thomas Dormady as my three starters. Uh, Obviously, the first two are from Winnipeg. The last one is from Chicago. Uh, maybe a bit surprising that Holmberg's not there, but just hold your horses there. As far as Duncan's concerned, 35 innings pitched, 24 Ks, 7 walks, for good for an ERA of 2.78. He has done what he did in the Can-Am and just brought it to a higher level this year. He's continuing to be dominant. He just looks at when he goes and takes the mound. Of course, two bad starts, but take those away, and his ERA is hovering around 1.0. So even with a couple of bad starts, he has numbers like that. Yeah, he's an all-star. And quite frankly, he's the guy I'm giving the ball to. He's my all-star starter, too, at that rate. Kevin Hilton, meanwhile, he's a little bit behind, 32 and a third innings. He only has 16 Ks, but he only walked four and has a slightly better ERA at 251. Again, he just doesn't get enough usage for me to call him a starter, but he is an all-star to this point. The numbers are still a little unsustainable. I Like I said in the very beginning of this show, I wonder if people are starting to figure him out now, and he's going to start getting hit harder. But again, 30 games in, 
I, I have a hard time taking away from him here and taking away that spot. Uh, Thomas Dormady is a bit of a shock here. I know some people will think David Holmberg should be in this spot, but Dormady, again, means an awful lot to that dog's rotation. He's been a very steady rock so far, a bad start or two in there, but 32 and two-thirds innings, 32 Ks, seven walks, an ERA of just about 3.303 to be exact. He's done everything asked of him. He's delivered. He's been a solid starting pitcher. And quite frankly, I like everything I see out of him to this point to earn that final rotation spot. My two relievers are Peyton Gray from Milwaukee and Victor Capion from Winnipeg. Gray, 15 game, or 15 innings pitch, my mistake, 25 Ks, 5 walks, an ERA of 0. 0. I can't get over that. 5 saves, 2 for him. Peyton Gray's just been so elite to this point, and it's clearly not just from being a closer. He only has five, uh, five saves, so that's not much of a closer if you count that there. And he's been utilized in other situations. The fact of the matter is, he doesn't allow runs. Sure, he'll allow a hit or two, but he's been just so unsung this year that he's he's going into my Nick Kennedy group, where uh, it, there's just something about him that just that reeks potential and it reeks of just such a good pitcher and he is showing every bit of that this year uh, I'm just such a huge Peyton Gray fan because like I said he's a Swiss army knife and unlike Capion he's striking guys out 25 K's in 15 innings is terrific he's at about a 2k per inning pace and that's that's just unreal I'm just I'm so in love with the fact that that Peyton Gray is doing so great here Man, he is just such a dominant reliever, and he's the kind of guy that you build a, a whole bullpen out of. And the fact that he's not getting an opportunity this year to be in one of these camps for one of these teams is amazing to me. He should be there. He shouldn't be playing in this league anymore. He should have his contract purchased, and the fact he hasn't is really just a travesty in my mind. Uh, Victor Campion, he's been old reliable in this league. He's been old reliable for Winnipeg for quite some time now. He has tied the American Association saves record. Um, that alone, he deserves to be here. Six saves, an ERA below one at .69 ERA. So, I mean, he's, he deserves to be there. He's only walked three guys in 13 innings. He struck out 11. While, yeah, the power numbers aren't there as far as pitcher power numbers go, he's still very reliable. He's not blowing saves. He's just doing everything that's being asked of him. And when he's needed, he comes out and he gets the save. He gets the win. He does what he needs to do. And on a dominant team like Winnipeg, it, the results show. Simple as that. That's why he's there. My two other alternates, my alternate starter is David Holmberg. 35 innings, 33 Ks, 12 walks, 2.57 ERA. It's the walk number that kept them out here. I'm going to be honest. The strikeouts are very impressive. But at the same time, Dormady has comparable numbers. Sure, it's three, not three more innings, really two more innings for Holmberg than Dormady. But all in all, the former Somerset teammates, I go Dormady over Holmberg. But Holmberg's had a very, very good year to this point. No disrespect to him. And Ryan Fritzy from Sioux Falls is the last guy to make the All-Star game in, in my kind of setup of it all. 15 in the third innings for 14 Ks, 8 walks, and a 1.76 ERA, and a pair of saves as well. So he's looked very, very good so far to this point in the year. And I'll leave it off with that on American Association Talk. We've spent about 45 minutes alone on that. We're nearing an hour. 
And I will say this much, I'm going to go through the news and then I will promise you in lieu of expansion talk in the podcast, like I've kind of promised you for the past half a month now, we are going to give you that video. It's going to be very good. You can find it on the YouTube channel. We'll try to get that out for you. I'll try to get that out to you within the next 10 days. We'll say that as our goal here. So we'll say for uh, the 17th of August, we'll shoot to get that thing out to you for. So with that, we'll go just quickly to a couple of news stories and then we'll get out of here. Long Island started doing virtual ring ceremonies. Basically, they mailed the ring to the coaches and the players. Somebody films their reaction to getting the ring. It looks kind of staged, to be honest, because it probably is. And these players and coaches are not good actors at all. Let me just say, they're no De Niro, they're no DiCaprio, they're not winning an Oscar for that anytime soon, but that's good for them because they picked to be baseball players instead, and they have championship rings to show for it, so they got that going for them at least, and uh, you can watch that, it's going to be coming out over the next few months, or next few weeks, you're going to start seeing uh, these reactions, and uh, if you want to check them out, just look at the Ducks social media, they post them whenever it comes up. Uh, other news, Jonathan Abeldejo, he is now going to join the Empire League as a pitching instructor. Presumably, he's done in Lancaster. He's not listed as anything on the website anymore. Cody Epley's listed as the pitcher, well, I guess pitching coach slash player. There's something going on there. Who knows? But I assume Abeldejo is kind of done in Lancaster. He's going to transition to being a coach now, so good for him. And then the last bit of news, it's kind of sad news. The former York Revolution team dog, Boomer, the Golden Retriever, has passed away. He was 10 years old. Uh, Very sad news. Staple in that kind of York fan base. Been replaced by a, I believe, a Siberian Husky at the end of last year. But, but, you know, that's that's the way it goes. So, unfortunate there, but not much you can do. So... Uh, with that, I just have one last thing to kind of tease. There's going to be a big announcement coming on next week's show. It's going to affect what the show looks like going forward. Uh, it's, I'm really excited to announce it. It's a positive change, and uh, I'm going to be excited for you guys to see, and more importantly, hear the change that is coming there. So I'll leave you with that little bit of a teaser before the plugs, which you can find us on Indie Ball Report. Dot com. You can find all of our podcasts, all of our show notes, all of our videos, all of our content is there. As you can tell, I'm running out of steam because I didn't even do any sort of lead-in for these plugs. You can find uh, our Twitter page at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can also find the YouTube channel where you will find the video that goes really deep into the major expansion markets, or potential expansion markets rather. Uh, you can find that on YouTube at Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. You can also find, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get podcasts, really. Uh, your major ones like TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. You can find us there, but you can also find us on those kind of obscure ones, too, apparently, like CastBox. We're apparently on that, too. I didn't even know that. I had someone tell me that, so we're apparently there. Uh, but yeah, you can find us there. Be sure to like, rate, review. It really does help us grow. Uh, be sure to listen to the show as well as get our download numbers up. The higher the numbers go, the more we get promoted by our kind of, I guess, hub thing. The place where we upload the podcast to, they promote us more if we do better. So try to help us do better on that front. That much said, I don't have anything else left to add. 
Uh, when we join you next week, we'll be past the halfway mark in the American Association season, and we'll be on the other side of the hill. Hopefully, I'll have more people doing me on the program. And uh, until next time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>